0: Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Posthumer, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. Over recent years, we've seen a surge in companies incorporating social or environmental policies into their business model. Often driven by consumer activism and corporate bottom lines, the question must be asked, is the movement enough to drive real change when looking to address the immediacy of things like climate change and severe inequality? Today on the show, we're exploring systemic change in the space of business and social impact. Does a societal reframing of value and mission need to take place in order for wholesale change to be made, or does the government need to adopt stronger legislation to ensure businesses address social and environmental issues? I'm joined today in the studio by Bronwyn Dalton, Director of the Masters of the Not-for-Profit and Social Enterprise Program at the UTS Business School, and remotely by Business Historian at the UTS Business School, Claire Wright. They're both part of a new subject it's called business and social impact and it hopes to empower students to help build a more fair and sustainable world bronwyn claire thank you so much for joining me today here on think business futures
1: thank you thanks for having us
0: now bronwyn let's get straight into it we're here to talk about business and social impact there's a lot of companies these days that are injecting some sort of social or environmental conscience into their business which seems to me a lot of the time like it's just good marketing or good for the bottom line. What's the difference between this and the type of social impact you're talking about?
2: We're going beyond that corporate social responsibility argument where you're trying to both do social good and be good for the bottom line. Uh, We're going a bit further than that, saying that really the forces that are driving change in business to do social good aren't internal to business, but are within civil society. And we have to think beyond just always delivering profit and understand that sometimes what's needed of all society's stakeholders is Be prepared to make some more radical change, even at the expense of the bottom line. Uh, We've got to go beyond that CSR, do a little bit of good on the side to make social good the central mission and move beyond a shareholder profit focus to a stakeholder and social purpose.
0: I mean, I'm I'm interested to know as to how we got to this place where you've set up a subject at the business school for this and it's really pushing forward. Where has this movement arisen from and, you know, how long has it been going for and what sort of things are driving it?
2: The business school is very committed to being the business school for social change, for positive social impact. But I just want to just declare that a lot of universities are signalling that kind of activity, but we want to back up what we say so that every student that comes through our door gets exposure to these ideas and an opportunity to follow their own personal social missions and study in this field. So students to find their destination, not their path, and that they are about a holistic creative solution to a big wicked problem in the world and bring together all these different disciplines together. For example, creating a city, Green City of the Future, which attracts all those different skill sets from the accountants, the engineers, the finance people, the marketing people. It takes a whole big mix skill set to realise that mission, but that is the purpose and what drives a individual's trajectory in their life. So it's no longer one job for life, wait for the gold watch, but you have this mission-driven career trajectory to the point where people are not going to ask at a party, what do you do? But now people ask at a party, what's your mission? Because we believe that's the start of a very exciting conversation and it's the conversation we need and the world needs right now.
0: Claire, you look at the work of some businesses that have this social tinge or environmental tinge to the work that they do, and you think... Yeah, things are chugging along pretty well. There's more of these big businesses that are interested in the environment, that are interested in social change and things like that. And this is all moving in a positive direction. What we're talking about here is completely different, really. It's a complete sort of restructure in a way. How do, how do you see it, Claire? And, and when was it realised for you that perhaps these small changes made by business aren't necessarily the thing that's going to change things permanently?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I think that we can, uh, as Bron said, uh, trace this to the fact that now businesses are being held accountable and there are much more stringent public expectations on what businesses are required to do in civil society. And it's not the businesses themselves that are changing, but it is the society that is demanding this of them. Um, So back in the 80s and the 90s, uh, businesses usually could have gotten away with reporting a little bit of environmental stuff and maybe some diversity stuff and so on. But as we have had intensifying shareholder activism, uh, intensifying regulations, intensifying sort of impacts from climate change and things like that, companies have uh, been held to account by members of the public. And I think that in Australia, one of the most important things that has driven this change is the fact that we are now all shareholders. Uh, The democratisation of shareholding and the fact that we all have shares through our superannuation has meant that everyone in society has a stake in these large corporations. And so we are looking at those. We are saying, do those companies align with our values? And so companies are now not just talking to the the very wealthy people who used to be the only ones who held shares. They're now talking to everyone. Bron,
0: you know, we're talking about shareholder activism now and, you know, the stake that we all have in companies making certain changes. But in terms of the sort of reframing and the restructure that you were speaking of, is there any manifestations of this that we can point to right now?
2: The closest to true mission-driven organisations you find in the not-for-profit sector, Mm. because profit isn't their ultimate uh, objective, it's the realisation of the eradication of a cancer or poverty or representation of an Indigenous group and so on. Social enterprises are also trying to apply those business principles to realise a mission. So there are mission-driven organisations out there it's a lot to ask of a corporation to commit to making the type of radical change required when they still have an expectation to return profit to shareholders. Really what we need is government to legislate that certain activities and behaviours and commitments to positive social change occur because that creates a level playing field for the companies themselves. So If you're a CEO and you're faced with a decision, shall I not use so much fossil fuel but it'll add to my bottom line and my competitors still will... Really, from that CEO's perspective, it's better if it's mandated across the industry so everyone's on the same playing field, so he doesn't put his particular firm at a competitive disadvantage. Whilst it's encouraging to see corporations responding to broader social movements that are pro-climate, inclusivity and and various other social causes – Really, ultimately, what we want to see is that reflected in governments and governments actually setting new standards around emissions, etc. We're not going to get there just relying on CEOs voluntarily meeting emission targets, for example. And I think the latest election is already showing us that. The two big wins of that election were people wanting a more inclusive Australia and an Australia that does something about climate and is calling on government to do it. We're not going to wait for a CEO of a few individual companies to try and change this. It has to be big, bold, radical and legislated.
0: Mm. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Think Business Futures on 2SER 107.3, around Australia on the Community Radio Network or around the world as a podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'm joined by Bronwyn Dalton and Claire Wright from the UTS Business School. We're talking about business and social impact. Claire, that raises a lot of interesting questions. I guess, number one, how, how realistic do you think it is that governments will implement this type of legislation, which requires companies and CEOs and businesses to integrate environmental and social conscience and policies into their practices? How realistic is that? But then also, do we at all run a risk through legislation of... Community activism and and shareholder activism being somewhat dampened and, you know, people sort of resting on the fact that, okay, well, now that there's legislation in place, our investment in, in it isn't as strong as it once was.
1: So i think on the first point it's really interesting to note that lots of things that we now take for granted historically haven't been the case so the the nature of company legislation has changed a lot over the last 30 years particularly around diversity and inclusion and environmental reporting so before 2000 companies didn't have to report their environmental impact at all they weren't required there was no legislation around it Um, and so these things do have a massive impact on what actually occurs within corporations. And so I I do have a lot of hope that environmental regulation or diversity regulation or even things like um, supply chain management and sort of modern slavery legislation are very effective because it is that combination of picking up on a a public issue that shareholders and the community wants, whilst also setting really strong coercive pressure and consequences for if companies don't comply. And without that consequence, companies can often just go, oh, we'll do it next year, we'll do it when the economic outlook is better and whatever. So that legislation is really important for essentially requiring companies to take these things seriously. And your second question about whether or not the legislation does dampen or does distract from the community activism, I think that they work in tandem and I think that they are complementary to one another. You know, we have come a long way on, on say, gender diversity or even environmental reporting, but that doesn't mean that the job is done. And We still have activism for both of those issues that work on corporations and try to improve things and so on. So uh, legislation is not the end of the story. It's the first step, but it is, it is a very important one, I think.
2: Also got to understand the role of corporations in the legislature in the law making process. There was a group led by Twiggy Forrest and others who were very active on the anti slavery legislation, but arguably that is to control the. And if anything, to minimise the potential of consequence. So, whilst we have some laws, I doubt, as they are now, any Australian company will ever face any adverse findings of transgressing that law. You actually want legislation to have teeth, and the proof is always in if anyone actually ever suffers the consequence.
0: Mm. Bron, let's take it back to how realistic this is. Claire, you just pointed out that changes have taken place, but we still find ourselves in a situation where our government has relatively modest climate policies after the last mm-hmm. election. The legislation doesn't really have the teeth that that you're talking about, Bron. How much change needs to be made and how realistic is it that it will be?
2: Well, I think this election result shows that politicians will be rewarded with votes if they represent the voice of people who want to see action on climate change and diversity and the other issues and not be co-opted through any special relationships or otherwise to serve corporate interests. To think that capitalism and the neoliberal model can solve climate and social issues at a profit is evidently not true otherwise these issues wouldn't exist if there was money ma- able to be made in the short term through a capitalist model then these problems would have been resolved we are not going to get there in the time we have left if we just leave it to this very incremental change that comes through corporates delicately trying to show that they're reacting. Because they don't want to compromise their bottom line, but it is a case of you can't have your cake and eat it too with some of these changes that are needed.
1: I might jump in there. Go and, for it, um, Claire. While I do agree that we that we can't necessarily trust companies to do these things on their own, I, I wouldn't uh, underestimate the importance of while we we can't throw out you know the whole economic model and the importance of incentives for actually encouraging companies or government or whatever to, to do certain things is really strong. So, for example, in the, in terms of climate, um, it's a much easier sell for corporates if there are economic reasons for doing what they're doing, so engaging in renewables because non-renewables is more expensive and, and whatever. And I think that the idea of altruism is really important. Like, are they doing it to do good or are they just doing it to enhance their bottom line? And in certain issues, I don't actually really care. Like, as long as they're doing what is necessary to to fix the problem. They can do it for their bottom line if they wish. And and so incentives and economic models, I think, do have a role to play in in making sure that we can solve these problems. And I think that particularly what we've been trying to teach to students in the subject is that business has to be part of the solution, not just part of the problem. So there is a role for them to play in that.
2: And there's a huge role for leadership. And really what this subject is about is equipping the leaders of tomorrow to make these big changes. Uh, We need business leaders that aren't just given the nuts and bolts skills of how to turn a profit, but actually have a sense of social purpose and mission that they can bring to their future careers. And I tell you what, this generation are very motivated already by this. So it's really harnessing and recognising their values and letting them know that those values very, very much not only have a place in business, but represent the future of business. We need government to create uh, the rules of the game that apply to corporations industry-wide. So we remove those disincentives to be the first mover on more radical step, positive steps. And I think corporates would accept that. It's just very difficult for an individual company to make the type of changes when their competitors don't.
0: Hmm. I'd like to have an example here because I'm interested in what you both think about it, and it goes back to capitalist forces and economies. Let's talk about Mike cannon Brooks's attempted purchase of AGL. Now, from my understanding, he thought that he could purchase you know australia's biggest energy company restructure it to move towards renewables put a lot of money in his back pocket and do some good for the environment at the same time where does this sit on the continuum of companies trying to do their bit and companies looking to make money and in terms of the shifts needed from leaders like you you are training at the moment in in the way that they approach business
2: Well, what he was trying to achieve highlights why he needs the architecture to back him up because at the end of the day, the profit comes first principle thwarted his ambition to actually create a greener source of energy and a greener company. But AGL was driven by the competitor. We have to earn more profit than them. There wasn't uh, an overall legal architecture to back uh, Mike Cannon's books' proposition up. Alone, he's been fantastic leader. He's trying to take us forward in, to a greener future, but without the support of proper range of incentives for companies to go that direction, without legislation for consequences. If you fail to go in that direction, he's fighting against an age-old, you know, profit first principle.
0: Mm. Okay. Claire, mm. do you have thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so I think that um, the the situation was quite interesting. And I know that Karl Rhodes would, would say that we elect representatives to do this sort of work for us. We don't necessarily need oligarch sort of capitalists to do it for us. At the same time, we have people like Twiggy Forrest um, or Elon Musk doing the same, the same from the other side. Uh, and so if uh, Mike Cannon-Brooks wants to put his money where his mouth is, and get some profit as well, then uh, I think good on him. And I agree with Bron that this was a a really good alignment of the incentives as far as he was concerned for his own investment. However, he didn't have the backing of the legislative system and all of the shareholders because the broader architecture of the industry and of the firm itself didn't necessarily allow that to go ahead. So I think that uh, an important and a very interesting part of what the future could look like, but in this case we needed more action from the broader structure
0: i think Mm, okay let's go back a little bit and i want to talk about the concept of value bron tell us a bit about how we've been conditioned in terms of what we value and the type of reframing that needs to take place and how how teaching this course addresses it
2: yeah so the beginning of the course the first uh, couple of lectures we look at how there was an economy uh, well before white contact and there's a thriving indigenous economy here today but what this indigenous wisdom has to teach us is that value is goes much beyond how much money and um, immediate material Purposes. Value lies from community, from love, from connection, from removing suffering, having greater equality. That's the type of value that has been enshrined in Indigenous cultures, and that's the type of value that we've got to reconnect with if we, as a species, are going to survive. If we are just going to try to constantly grow, grow our economy, grow make more money, uh, we're going to burn up uh our atmosphere. So it's time to reconnect with things like indigenous wisdom and learn the uh intrinsic value and the ecological wisdom that has been part of our world's longest living culture.
0: Mm, okay. Claire With a reframing of value, we're in a privileged position to be able to be here and to be able to live in Sydney and to live comfortably and have these types of conversations. For those of us who want to shape and reframe how we value things... If we're still then forced to live in Sydney and pay the rent and you know, try to afford ourselves some things that obviously cost money but may bring us some happiness and bring us together with family and, and things like that, how do we do that while existing in a world where capitalism is still the driving force, where cost of living is high and where things like wealth inequality continue to grow?
1: thinking about things beyond the uh, measures of success that we are usually taught in this like capitalist world is really important for reframing what value means. Um, And so, you know, maybe that means shifting your priorities and and living somewhere that isn't um, so expensive, but aligns more with what you want to do outside of your work or, and and again, there is lots of privilege in being able to decide these things. Some, Mm. uh, lots of folks can't, but uh, changing the concept of value, I think, really goes into um, understanding the way that our framing comes from and the fact that we are within this like Western system of what is valued and what is not um, and being aware of that. And then also thinking about our priorities. Do I want to get to the end of my life and go, I made so much money or do I want to get to the end of my life and go, I made so many people happy or I did so much good for the world?
2: I'll mm. I'll give a specific example that's been plaguing a lot of programs that are funded in the indigenous space. Midnight basketball program for for young indigenous kids. The, the government might give money, and then the required measure of success is: did it lead to a job, or did it lead to s- certain level of a school engagement, or then paying tax? All economic indicators. Now, there's no evidence that says that that particular program leads to employment and so it's set up to fail because it can't meet these very because value values only equated to economic value yet they have a great time their self-esteem's improved their well-being their mental physical health their connection to community, cultural transmission, enjoyment, uh, all of those things are served but not measured as they're meaningless. It's only the economic value under our current system that's considered worthwhile. So we've got to shift the way we measure and understand success to have a much more holistic view of what is of worth and of value beyond just this economic financialized outcome
1: you touch on a really important point that we really like simple numbers right. So actually measuring social impact or measuring social good is a really complicated thing to do. and Bron will be able to tell you more about that. But you know we choose numbers like GDP like inflation, like the unemployment rate because they're simple, they're easy to collect. Um, but the choice of what we choose to measure, choosing to measure the num- you know GDP in the sense of like the national dollars, or the um, inflation is like, oh, this is how much your, your buying power is, is an ideological choice that pushes us in certain directions. If the goal is always increasing GDP, then that's a set of incentives that means we're going to take action to increase GDP rather than broader measures, which are becoming more likely to be used, like well-being and happiness.
0: How can this take place? How can we shift the framing? And how can we bring this importance of using metrics that are different to economic ones, how can we bring this to the mainstream, Bron?
2: So we also have a subject at UTS called measuring (laughs) social impact. And I and my colleagues were generously funded by Bendigo Bank and we have developed a social impact toolbox, which is uh, socialimpacttoolbox.com.au. And uh, it's a software that actually guides people who are doing programs for social good with all the materials they need to measure values beyond economic values. Economic values are in there as well, but it's to assist any not-for-profit or, or for-profit company who wants to do a social program or an environmental program to actually prove that their program made a difference. To break it down, it can be done. So you can say that levels of anxiety and depression halved with this cohort of young people who were funded to create a community garden and that will lead to less engagement with service and health system than they did previously. And so we saved the government this amount of money because mm. they didn't have to rely on services. So you can even find, add a number to it and call it a social return on investment. I just wanted right. to pick
1: up on um, Bron's point about the social impact toolbox and the fact that, you know, we have this current system of measuring quite simple things, but things like the social impact toolbox are important for diversifying what we measure and how we measure things. And the fact that the, the current measures that we have aren't, you know, inherent, they, they haven't existed through all time, they have achieved this institutionalised status as the thing that we measure through uh, legitimacy. And things like the toolbox and actually formalising how we measure social impacts Uh, and other measures like the happiness index and and wellbeing measures and things, um, all of which have been achieved through processes of legitimacy and of defining and of thinking um, and so on. And so if we do want to change the way we measure value, then having uh, toolboxes and and sort of legitimised measures like this is really important.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Bron, I'll let you round it out. Uh, It's just about time for us to wrap up, but final thoughts?
1: Look, I think
2: that the generation coming up today, they've been screwed by boomers and also fed a lot of negative messages around, oh, you know, the climate and t- availability of employment. This is the wrong message. They, This up and coming generation are so awesome, so passionate about social change, so driven. It's our job to give them the tools and get out of the way. And I really feel they thank God for them and they're going to save the planet and our job in business school is just to give them the tools they need to get the job done.
0: Absolutely. Well, I've definitely been struck by exactly what you're talking about with the, the many students that we interact with here at 2SER as a part of They're UTS. Awesome. It is. It's inspiring. It's inspiring. Yeah. And I definitely wasn't sp- uh, thinking about these types of things when I was a high school student. Who knows what I was doing? So uh, it's it's <laughs> it's definitely encouraging. And all the best with this subject. Steps in the right direction. And it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to both of you. Bron and Claire, thank you so much for joining me here on Think Business Futures.
2: Thank you. Thank you
0: thank you for joining us for another episode of think business futures thank you to my guests Bronwyn Dalton and Claire Wright you can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts don't forget to subscribe to get think business futures in your feed each week and please support the show by leaving a review I'm your host Stefan Postuber,
1: and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week